0: Christina from Gravel Trap F1 here and I've got some big news. As you're well aware, Formula 1 is not the only open wheel racing out there. So, the Gravel Trap is expanding its repertoire into IndyCar with a new podcast called Gravel Trap Indy, hosted by myself and our newest member of the Gravel Trap family, Justin Reschke.
1: That's right, Christina. If you're a longtime IndyCar fan or an F1 fan who's been curious about Indy but don't know enough about it yet, we're making a show for you.
0: We'll be covering both current events, races, driver market news,
1: as well as digging deep into the rich history of IndyCar to recount some of the most exciting stories ever to come out of the sport. Join us. It's going to be a blast.
0: Look for Gravel Trap Indy wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And the team says hold positions. I want to see him snap and just be like, no, no, I did it for Danny. I'm, I'm taking this win from this kid. Like, I just... Aww. <laughs> you know
0: Fair Lando would be a thing uh, to behold
2: yeah. I'm Caroline
0: I'm Christina And this is Gravel Trap F1 It was our first dry race in Japan since 2018. Which gave us an action-packed start. And that continued for the whole race. In today's Formation Lap, we'll discuss Sergio Perez's double retirement,
2: how it was possible, and why we'll probably never see it happen again. In the Grand Prix segment, I go over some of the dramatic history and savage comments shared between the F1 drivers in the 1990s.
0: And at the checkered flag, a special guest. Ian Shea of The Around the Outside, the American F1 podcast joins us to discuss the latest Formula 1 headlines.
2: Let's get into it. So the Japanese Grand Prix happened this weekend. Happened sands rain, which was it almost felt wrong truly it, yeah it almost felt wrong oh, um yes but christina what are we going to talk about today in the formation lap oh well the
0: the big pondering thought i think for most people after this race weekend was what the heck how did red bull have a double dnf and yet max still won because Checo, lo and behold out of all the like magical mystical record-breaking things that Red Bull are doing this season somehow added retiring twice from a race to that list. Like, very
2: record breaking <laughs> season. I will be honest with you. I genuinely thought there was a rule. Like, I, like, I, and I'm just guessing. I thought that mm-hmm. there was a rule that you, when you declare DNF, that you can't come back. You would think that that rule would exist. You would think, but the actual.
0: The nitpicky of it is that if the FIA take control of your car, you can't get it back. So that's why so many of the on-track DNFs are DNFs like firm ones, is that the FIA have taken the car or somebody else other than a team member has touched the car. But there's nothing saying that if the driver and or team members are the ones who have touched and repaired the car, no matter how many number of laps down you are, there's nothing stopping them from rejoining The race and using it as a test session and that's what we see most frequently is that people you know they get their car damaged and it takes five six laps for them to fix it but they can use it for experience like with rookies it makes sense with the mclaren earlier this year they used it for lando norris he kept going Mm -hmm. in and out of the pits because the car wasn't in a racing condition but it was drivable so they were using it as a test session which they needed at the time thankfully they don't anymore but long story short there was just no rule of declaring your dnf when it's in the pits it was just you have chosen to remove your car from the race and it gets classified as being dnf because you didn't do 90 percent of the laps Mm -hmm. there's just there's no rule governing you and your team returning your car to the track which is wild crazy and i think the part which you know fair enough for most people that makes it seem kind of sketchy is that the reason they brought him back onto track was to serve that penalty Mm -hmm. because for anybody who's unaware if you don't serve your penalty because you retired the stewards can elect it's not an automatic thing but they can elect to have it carry over to the next race but in that case it would not be a five second it would get transformed into a grid drop Oh. Which hurts more. Yeah. And the thing is, like, the regulation, it doesn't say how many. It's it's one of those ambiguous, the stewards may do this. The specific wording is, if any of the four penalties above, above being the five-second, ten-second drive-through stop and go, are imposed upon a driver and that driver is unable to serve the penalty due to retirement from the sprint or the race, the stewards may impose a grid penalty on the driver at his next race. So... Red Bull didn't want to risk having Checo have a grid drop. They didn't want to risk it being, you know, however many grid spots was decided. And we're at the point of the season as well where teams sometimes have grid drops because of replacing over their allotted amount of power unit components. So it might just be as well that they're looking ahead and being like, oh, shoot, we might at Qatar have to use power units anyway. That might also be part of the of the brain play. And again, the big delay as well was them debating and figuring this out. That's why it took so many laps for Checo to get back out. It was A, replacing the car, but also B, they did check with the stewards and kind of went like, "Yeah, hey, the way it looks to us, this is kosher. This is okay. Is that how it looks like to you guys? So they did do everything above board. This wasn't them being sketchy. This was them being like, so the rules yeah. don't say we yeah. can't, so we're going to do it. Yeah. And now, again, they're, they're looking at closing that loophole because it just does make sense to say, mm-hmm. you know, once you've damaged your car to the point of it being so damaged that you're not participating in this race. And that's mm-hmm. my big question is when they say close this loophole, do they mean the penalty loophole where you're not participating in the race anyway, but you're just going out to serve your penalty even though it's not actually going to have any consequence it's not going to have an impact or do they mean close the loophole as in you have retired your car and you can no longer return to track
2: i feel like it should be the second one if mm-hmm. they're asking me um it should be the second one because if you try to make it but the other thing is then if you make it the second one you have to be specific in what 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 does DNF mean? Because sometimes we'll see 35 second pit stops because they're replacing a front wing and they lost the tire or this tire had a puncture. They had to get another tire, whatever. So you can't make it a if the car is unavailable to return to track for X amount of time. I think they should do it by laps. Like that's that's my thought. as Yeah. Yeah. How many laps down are you? Is
0: it an automatic like meatball or black and white flag kind of a thing? Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah because that's the other thing where most dnfs are literally just the teams being like this car can't stay on track we will get a meatball which is the flag that the stewards and race control can put out there if your car is unsafe to drive and they can make it be pulled off but checo's car had time to be
2: repaired which is crazy like that's crazy you shouldn't you shouldn't be allowed to repair an entire car on the heels of him being on his third front wing of so the wings, like, like you also that i asked myself i said aren't they only allowed like two or something like isn't there a rule know. that they're only allowed a certain number of front wings i feel like i remember reading that and it could be three so mm-hmm. homeboy could have gone through all of his front wings and had no more <laughs> options but like, yeah it was crazy
0: oh, it, was it really crazy. was like some of the mistakes he made were just kind of appalling to see like mm-hmm just so but granted he
2: wasn't the only one that was making mistakes this weekend i don't want to sound like it's like a pile-on on on Checo. there were plenty of mistakes made this weekend by plenty of drivers um and plenty of really really close calls like there was the really close call between george and lewis on that long straight which was crazy the really close i do not understand how neither mclaren got damage at the race start i it's still baffling me i don't know how it happened
0: i need to go and watch those on boards because i yes. feel like that would just be very satisfying of watching and okay i really need them not need but i would love for f1 to also have i know they have a million and one camera angles and it's fabulous they're adding more we got to see that one on top of the roll hoop or next to the roll hoop on Mm -hmm. lewis's car which is really cool but i really have gotten used to seeing the indycar 360 cameras
2: yeah where they can actively like pivot
0: you around i want i would love 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 for (laughs) f1 to bring those in because that'd be so
2: satisfying to buy. that would be interesting that would be super good yeah Oh. I also thought it was interesting that we mm-hmm. got a safety car because of damage on track cuz I'm so used to getting a safety car because somebody's stuck or somebody's crashed but yep. I thought that was that was interesting to, that there was so much damage that it that it created a safety car so it's
0: just a debris field it was mm-hmm. that that first lap was just like it was it was the crazy. perfect explosion of car bits and bobs like that was just it, it kind of looked like a pinata had been smashed. Like, <laughs> it looked like the Williams was a pinata. It, it, it did. Just
2: candy everywhere. And <laughs> then at one point, K Mag was turned completely around. Yeah. Check. That, that honestly, check out. yes. When that happened, that scared <laughs> me because I had the thought someone could come around the corner, in the corner and just nail right into him. I mean, yeah. I was actually really scared when it initially happened because I was like, he's just a sitting duck he's st- he's that's terrible but it it was fine everything was fine thank goodness yes some of the barriers are as close as
0: some street circuits mm-hmm. it's, like, yeah. it's like it's like right, right there
2: like, well and imagine if it had been raining on top of it all yep it was already like, crazy anything else to, to speak on on checo's wonderful reemergence and then exit there's a there's nothing much to
0: say because there there just isn't a rule that says mm-hmm. anything about that situation, which is wild, but I think that there uh, will be. Yeah, there definitely will be now. It's so so like where's this rule?
2: That one kid. Yes. That one kid that ruins it for everyone. Well, it was how we ended up with the the uh, safety car restart rule where you can't be alongside anymore yep i feel like it's just red bull's red bull has their ticks that they have to tick every year and they ticked Uh, constructors this this weekend but they also ticked make uh the fia make up a new rule for one of your drivers i think it's 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 got to be a part of their their uh, ml their bucket list yes Uh, their bingo card if you will
0: bingo i made a bingo card at the beginning of this season i have not how's looked it looking at it. i haven't yeah. looked at it in like months i forgot it was there i should i should take a peek at that um yeah but that has been the formation lap
2: for today's grand prix segment i feel like i got so excited about all of the stories that have happened in Japan that I told myself I wasn't going to tell a lot of them, but I feel like my notes are so long. Oh so buckle up people. We're about to talk about Japan for a hot minute. Oh so yeah. yes, as we usually do today on the Grand Prix segment, we'll be looking at a little bit of history in Japan. I'm not going to go into all of it for those who know a little bit about their history in Japan. I'll just go ahead on the front end and say I'm not telling the Jules story today it is not because I don't think it's important I think it's very important um I think that it's something that we're all very familiar with and so I try to bring stories that maybe where people are less familiar with but it does not mean that I am choosing to neglect it in any way It, it was a horrible travesty shouldn't have happened and he's missed every day all right, let's get into Japan. Historically, Japan has been one of the last races of the season, as we see now. Although, I don't think it is next year. It's next not. Next year, it's, it's early. Bumped up to the front yes. of the line. Very exciting to see it not in monsoon season. Um, so, but because it's been at the end of the season a lot of times, it has been the venue for a lot of title-deciding races, as we saw last year with Max Verstappen, under some... Chaos, if you don't know anything about the chaos, go back and listen to our episode with Sean, because he does a really great job of explaining everything that happened. Um, so, but actually, in Japan, 13 World Drivers Championships have been crowned over the 36 World Championship Japanese Grand Prix that have been hosted, which is crazy. Uh, so Japan was the only Asian nation to host a Formula One race until Malaysia joined in 1999. and then now we have yes and we have singapore now and china which sadly didn't get to happen this year but we'll be back china will be back um okay so the first two formula one japanese grand prix in 1976 and 1977 actually were not held at suzuka which is for those that don't know where it was held this past weekend it was held at the fuji speedway And this was before Japan was taken off of the calendar. So it then returned in 1987 at Suzuka, which hosted the Grand Prix exclusively for 20 years and gained a reputation as one of the most challenging Formula One circuits. I think everybody that drove there this weekend would agree. The first Formula One Japanese Grand Prix in 1976 was held at the very fast 2.7 miles Fuji Speedway, minus the banking. The race was, uh, it became famous for the title decider between... James Hunt and Nikki Lauda as it was held during monsoon conditions. For those who may not know those names, there's a great movie. I think it's still available on Netflix that literally tells the story of this season that I'm talking about. So I'll tell you guys kind of what happened and it'll kind of spoil the movie a little bit, but still go watch it because Chris Hemsworth in it. So you should go watch it. And he's got like flowing hair. It's called Rush
0: yes the blonde flow chris hemsworth
2: chris hemsworth plays james hunt he does a great job 10 out of 10 recommend it's a great movie if you haven't seen it go see it
0: all right it was held Man, during both Monsoon. Of those guys were in both of those guys were in the avengers the yes. guy who plays james hunt and 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 nikki, nikki
2: lauda yeah Honestly, like. the actor that plays nikki lauda in it, i don't know his name lauda. i wish i did he does such a good job he's really talented like My favorite, my favorite Marvel villain is him. He does a great job as a Marvel villain. But honestly, he does so well as Nikki Lauda. I mean he does such a good job. It's crazy. So, anyways. (laughs) It was held during monsoon conditions in Japan. Mind you, this is later in the season. So bear in mind, Lauda had survived a near fatal crash at the German Grand Prix earlier in the season which when you watch the movie, you'll see what happened. He had to withdraw the race from the race, stating that his life was more important than the championship. And so did the Brazilians, Emerson Fittipaldi and Carlos Pace. You might recognize the Fittipaldi name. It's a bit of a dynasty in Formula One. The torrential rain in Japan, fast forward, we're in Japan. It eventually stopped. And after a slow pit stop that put him down to fifth, James Hunt drove really hard, climbed up to third, taking the four points he needed to win the title by the slender margin of one point over lauda mind you lauda had pulled out of the race so if he had raced who knows what would have happened but that year james hunt won american uh, he didn't win the race he won the championship american mario andretti who might be a familiar name as well actually won that race for his second career win and first for Lotus ahead of Patrick Depaulieu in the Tyrrell P-34. So Hunt returned the year after to win the second Japanese Grand Prix, but a collision between Gilles Villeneuve. Did I say it right, Christina? No. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, it's a soft G, so it's Gilles Gilles Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Thank you there so much. There we go. Our resident French woman. And almost ready for your Peterson, which is not French, uh, during the race, saw Villeneuve's Ferrari somersault into a restricted area, killing two spectators. We have talked before about how dangerous this this sport is. It is nothing compared to how dangerous it used to be to be a spectator. It's crazy. So wild. It's crazy. Um, Although originally this Grand Prix was scheduled for an April slot in the 1978 season, it was then canceled. The race did not reappear on the Formula One calendar for another decade and it it did not return to Fuji for an even greater time. I'll explain why later the japanese grand prix was originally scheduled for april 7th 1985 but was canceled as rebuilding parts of the suzuka circuit were too time consuming so on formula one's return to japan in 1987 the grand prix found a new venue at the redesigned and revamped suzuka circuit that we know and love my research says that it was set inside it was set inside of a fun fair that suzuka was set inside of a fun fair designed by Dutchman John Hugenholtz and owned by Honda, who used it as a test track. I also think it's worth noting Mm -hmm. that it was also placed in between two rice paddy fields. (laughs) So when you see the flooding Uh, that you see at Suzuka, it's maybe because rice fields are meant to hold water. So the local terrain is meant to hold water. And they said, here, here is where we will build our circuit. (laughs) i was like great plan great plan everybody so wild um but most notably uh, the layout at suzuka is the only figure eight track to appear on the f1 calendar we love it it. we do love it it's so cool and mind mind you for those that don't know no the figure eight does not overlap itself so you're not going to deal with t-boning issues you might ask yourself oh a figure eight how have they never t-boned each other because it goes over, people will just over take care of it now. It goes over and under. Um, but that is pretty cool. Yeah. So the uh, Japanese Grand Prix, the circuit there at Suzuka became very popular among the drivers and fans because it was so demanding and so fast. And it went, went on to see some of the most dramatic and memorable moments in Formula One history. So the first event In 1987, it was already a classic. It saw another world title title decided as Nigel Mansell crashed his Williams Honda heavily in practice and consequently could not start the race. Um, so it handed the title to his teammate, Nelson Piquet, another name you might recognize from the great history here in Formula One. I'm telling you guys, I had such a hard time trying to narrow down the stories to tell you because there's so many amazing historic drivers to tell you about that have. Decided their titles here in Japan. It's, it's insane. And that was Nelson BK's third and final title of his career that he won in Japan. But yeah. the story I'm really excited to tell you guys about from Japan are between two drivers who have not been previously mentioned, but are greats among the sport, Prost, Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna. They have been known to have some Epic battles at Suzuka, and we don't have the time in this year's episode to get into it all. So look forward to next year. We'll, we'll, we'll debrief it all. Um, but to briefly recap it, they were at each other's throats in 1988, 1989, and 1990 at Suzuka as they were battling for the championship at this historically rainy circuit. So they were teammates at McLaren in 1988, but by 1990, Prost was driving for Ferrari so to me the final battle in 1990 was particularly controversial because of the animosity that had been bubbling up for the three years at this point and since they were formerly teammates so Senna we're going to talk about 1990 we're not going to even get into I'll briefly mention some of the things that happened in 89 and 88 but it it really I mean it was crazy in 1990 all right so Senna and Prost were once again first and second in the championship. The two men had won 37 of the past 46 Formula One championship races between the two of them. It's crazy. So the roles have been reversed from the year prior. The championship situation for Prost was the same as Senna's in 1989. So you saw this kind of switch flip situation in 1990. Prost needed to win both of the final two races of the season to defend the title. One of which was Japan. The race also was without defending championship champion Nannini as his career had ended just days after a helicopter crash. I felt like that needed to be said. We remember you Nannini. You will live on in our hearts. Senna qualified for the Japanese Grand Prix on pole position, three tenths ahead of Prost now driving for Ferrari who had the next most competitive package that year behind McLaren. Center requested to change the grid positions in order to move pole position to the cleaner left side of the track where the racing line was, which I just need to note that would like never happen today. You would never see the FIA allowing the pole position holder to be like, can we actually move pole can we switch everybody? Can we just trade everybody to help me since I'm P1? No chance. Well, it was initially granted and they said, sure, we'll switch it for you. Um, but Ballastre intervened and reverted the grid positions back uh, to their original location, meaning pole position would now be on the dirty right side of the track where all the bits of tire rubber had been thrown off by the tires thus far. If you don't mm-hmm. know what that means. to be on the dirty side of the track. So this meant that Senna was off the racing line and it would be more difficult for him to make a better start. Frustrated and angry, Senna mimicked Prost's statement from the previous year, which I'm just going to stop here saying, these guys are so sassy. (laughs) Like, you think they're Uh... sassy and savage today. They're over here trading the same insults towards each other that they had been giving each other the year prior. And I love it. But... Senna mimicked Prost's oh. statement from the previous year saying he would not move over if Prost attempted to overtake him in the first corner. He was like, no, I'm not going to move over because he said he was going to move over for me. So, mom, what you going to do about it? So oh. Senna started from pole with Prost second. But now Prost is on the, on the racing line. Um, and Prost got ahead of Senna at the start but the more powerful Honda engine in Senna's McLaren meant that he was able to make up a bit of ground. Prost moved over to take the racing line, but Senna dived into the corner to Prost's right to pass him. And as a result, he hit the side of Prost's Ferrari. You can imagine it went over really well. Whoop. Both cars went straight on and both drivers sped through the gravel trap at 160 miles per hour, for our you know european friends that's 260 kilometers per hour and crashed into the tire wall at the end of the runoff area they're both out whoops senna and prost were both unhurt thank goodness neither driver bothered to check to see if the other one <laughs> survived
0: oh, they geez. said
2: peace out a town <laughs> well wow. So, this accident meant that Senna won his second World Drivers' Championship and ruined it for Prost. The crash was under a lot of speculation because it looked somewhat dubious and nothing was done to Senna by the FIA. Because, and you know how the FIA loves a precedent, mm-hmm. they had done nothing to Prost the year prior. For crashing oh, into Senna. Yeah. So they were like, Well, we didn't do anything to Prost last year, so we're not gonna do anything to Senna this year. It was declared a <laughs> racing incident, or is Charles Declare a racing incident in the end. Oh, yeah, Furious, yeah. Furious. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love this little quote. Furious and disgusted, Prost <laughs> later described Senna as quote, a man without value. end quote just cut to the bone yeah cut to the bone (laughs) i mean i'm telling you this it's crazy both drivers have been accused of crashing into the other deliberately and thus the two situations as well as their comments after have tainted unfortunately they they tainted both drivers reputations in the eyes of most of their diehard fans uh but benetton driver nelson Piquet won his first race in three years After someone else crashed, went off and Nigel Mansell's Ferrari failed in the pits and whatever PK's new teammate finished second. So it was a great day for Benetton. It was not a great day for Prost and Senna. Actually, it was a great day for Senna. What am I saying? He won the driver's championship. So fast forward, we're now looking at the early 2000s. But the Japanese Grand Prix was supposed to return to the Fuji circuit, interestingly enough, in 2009, and alternate between Fuji and Suzuka every year. But for financial reasons, it was announced that in 2010, it would remain only at Suzuka. That's why you see it at Suzuka today. But mind you, this Prost and Senna insanity also was happening at Suzuka. So I think they should keep going to Japan forever, because clearly the fun stuff happens in Japan. Today, for our checkered flag segment, we are so thrilled to be welcoming a guest. Buck would, could not be with us today, and he is dearly missed. But with us is Ian Shea. We're so thrilled to have you, Ian. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. This is a pleasure to spend time with you both. It's been quite some time since we've spoken. How y'all been?
2: So Ooh. good. So tired. so tired we just got back from vegas <laughs> so we are we are in our pajamas and happy about it yeah.
1: <laughs> Still got that vegas uh, feeling right. in you just a little tired from it
2: yes just a bit just my bit. lips are just chapped just from the dry air still oh, recovering gosh, yeah. it's fine
1: did you guys get to like, see um, the track a... to cut to talk over you guys did you see the track at all <laughs> under construction
0: sort of <laughs> saw like a corner that's it we we drove through an intersection that had very evident formula one Mm -hmm. construction happening so it wasn't the strip but we're under the impression and we have to check the exact layout of the pig and like where it's going the pig being the shape of the track but just need to double check i think we were just at one of the corners that isn't the strip but that is the race track
2: yes but Ian, how are things on your side with your podcast? Let's plug your podcast here on our podcast. Tell the people about it.
1: Round the outside, the American Formula One podcast is doing quite well, uh, actually, with Mike and I, because we had to, um the beginning, we did a host change, and it's Mike and myself now, and he has recently greeted, received a baby. His wife had a baby, their first Aww. child. Julian, so yeah, he's like Little a month. Nugget. He's got a month old or two months old now, so he would just be like, "Ian, I'm so tired. I can't record." It's like be a father first. We'll get yeah. we'll get through this. <laughs> so it's been just that's really what's been going on most. Just checking in with Mike, and he's just taking care of his son, and we were able to connect last night and talk about Japan as well. So no, oh, amazing. Yeah, no, I'm super happy. And I'll just ask him because I don't have kids or like no one's come knocking. So I just go, (laughs) Mike, like, how is it today? And he's like, you know, it's going, it's going. (laughs) So.
2: Well, Ian, what are you going to be doing for us here today for the checkered flag?
1: Well, there were a couple, well, two things I wanted to talk about. One of uh, which, or two of them, which actually that we talked about on our podcast, but... I was just curious because you guys just have such insightful opinions. I wanted to know what you thought. And the first one is connected to Japan. During the race, I thought there was three instances of team orders where normally there isn't. It was with McLaren and then at the end with Gasly and then also with Mercedes pulling Lewis in to within – range of carlos signs because i thought russell's tires were dead what do you both think is you know the stopping line for team orders because it seems to provide more confusion than just outright racing on my side what do you guys think
2: i'll let christina go first you go
1: girl see
0: in my mind because we have a team championship you do have to let them have team orders they are competing not just how many can we get for these individual drivers? They're competing to see between these two drivers, how many can we get compared to others? Mm -hmm. So you do have to let them play that team game. And at the end of the day, if the communication isn't clear, that's their problem. That is something that they have to deal with. And if they screw themselves over, That's a lesson to be learned at the end of the day. Like, in my opinion, that was the problem with Alpine is that they communicated clearly to Ocon what was going to happen, but not to Gasly. Mm. And that's a huge issue. And that's going to cost them at the end of the day because they're going to have teammates that aren't as happy, aren't as willing to work with each other, who might pull a Max Verstappen and just be like, I'm not doing that. I told you I wouldn't do that and I'm not going to do it. So it's part of managing a team is communication. And also just ensuring that everybody feels like they are being heard and that that everything is equally happening like if in for whatever situation you have one driver that's always being pulled to the front why is that happening and with a team like mercedes at this point in the year it absolutely makes sense you have lewis that's actually within striking distance of that second place for the world drivers so yes prioritize him but with alpine in my mind that one didn't make any sense because it actually puts gasly farther away from getting ahead of stroll in the driver's championship so i have no issue with team orders it's part of the game and uh
2: those who play it well benefit and those who don't become memes (laughs) it's true yeah i'm pro team orders i think that because it is a team sport in so many ways. And these drivers at the end of the day are employees of the team. They are required then to follow team orders, just like everybody else. When the team principal tells the mechanics to get the car ready, that's not really up for debate. That's team. Those are team orders as well. So team orders don't just apply to the drivers in a lot and in a corporate sense. However, I think team orders can become problematic on the teams that do not clearly define driver one and driver two. And so every driver, if, especially if they're on a team that does not define driver one or driver two, every driver thinks they're driver one. If you asked me who was driver one at Mercedes, no question. It's Lewis Hamilton. If you ask really anybody in the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's no question that it's Lewis Hamilton. But if you ask George Russell, he would say it's George Russell. So I think that's where it starts to become problematic. And you see some of these race engineers and team principals becoming guidance counselors more than team principals in these moments. Uh, Because I think back to, I think something that Toto said to George, it was either earlier this season or last season where he was like, get over it put your head down, keep racing. Because it's it, emotions are high. Everybody wants to get points. Everybody wants to do well. But sometimes for the sake of the team, you have to take team orders. And they all want to preserve their racing mentality that they are racers. And you are, you're only there if you believe you're the best. And that's the truth. However, mm-hmm there's so much more at play. So you have to to take team orders into account. I think that I agree with Christina about the Alpine one not really making much sense. I actually think it's harder for McLaren because Lando and Oscar are so evenly matched. And it's only going to get worse with Oscar gaining experience. Yes. And so they have a beautiful problem on their hands. They have two incredible drivers and a fast car what do you do? And, and the incentive that Lando's never won and they really want to get Lando a win. A win. And I think it would be really hard for Lando if Oscar won in the McLaren before he did. But I think it'd be really hard for Oscar if he was held back from his first ever win in Formula One because Lando's been there longer. So I actually think McLaren's going to have a bit of a harder time but Mm. we'll see how the future unfolds yep and and last thing as well even if you
0: don't have a distinct number one and number two driver or if you do sometimes during a particular race you have to change things yes and that's okay it is better to make a call of who to prioritize than to have both of your drivers crash out As a team Mm -hmm. principal, like that would be like where my foot, where the hammer drops is it's like you two are not crashing into each other. Priorities right here. You do not race against each other until I tell you, you can Mm -hmm. like, that's the other helpful thing about team orders is you can preserve things
2: and keep things a lot more civil for the sake of the team. Yes. For the sake of the team. Absolutely. 10 out of 10. Ian, what do you think? Do you think
1: Let them team orders
2: are good or bad?
1: Let them race. I just want to see rivalries <laughs> bubble up. I want to see inter-team rivalries. I want to see something implode on track <laughs> because, I love it. like, given the McLaren, given the McLaren situation, let's say Oscar is in front and Lando's the quicker, and the team says hold positions. I want to see him snap and just be like, "No, no, I did it for Danny." I'm I'm taking this win from this kid. Like I just,
2: Aw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know,
2: Feral Lando would be a thing to behold. <laughs> yeah. And I think Lando, like I think the Lando of today, absolutely is gonna hunt it down. Because I think when it happened with Daniel, I think that they had hope that it next time around it'll be you. And there wasn't a next time around. And Lando's learned that lesson, and he's like, there will be no next time around. So we'll see, but I don't think Mm -hmm. Oscar's going to go quietly. I think Oscar's going to want it too. So, Mm
1: -hmm. and Lando's just been an absolute monster in Mm -hmm. the updated McLaren, which has been fantastic. Just sixteen second lead over his teammate. That was he had a max for Stapp and Gap. I mean, granted, Max had he pulled it. (laughs) Yeah, Max also had
2: a max for Stapp and Gap. You
1: know, (laughs) yeah, he pulled he pulled a heck of a lead out on him. So I think that. I wa- that's why I just I want to see the faster driver instead of saying, I'm faster, let me buy. Just mm-hmm. be the faster driver. So do you guys think Logan and Stroll will have a seat in 2024?
2: Oh, Ian, you're asking <laughs> such controversial questions <laughs> here on Gravel Trap today. I, I, don't,
1: I don't mean to, with just <laughs> things that I've been seeing, I don't <laughs> want Logan. I want Logan to have another chance, and I've yes. supported Stroll in the past and I've supported Logan. So I'm grasping for straws to find reason to keep them on, but it's getting harder and harder for me to come up with reasons. Are you guys finding yourself having a hard time reasoning their seats in the sport?
0: Logan, I feel like it is, it makes sense to me to give him a second year, primarily because he's a Williams Academy driver. He was supposed to get that second year in F2 So it's just like, this is the bed. You made it. You created this situation. You weren't able to find another driver
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: to give Logan more time to develop. This is a problem you have created and you get to deal with. Like, that is it at the end of the day. The only thing that I could see being the issue is it's not just up to James' vowels. They do have to be accountable to people who are giving the money. And so... It might be that trickle-down effect where it's like this kid is crashing too many cars that is too big of a problem at this point. No. So that's where it could be. I do think he should get a second tier. Um, It's getting really hard to watch, though, because you can tell he's being so hard on himself. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a problem that he necessarily created. He was just brought up to Formula One before his developmental program was done. It's just, it's really hard to watch because you just know that if he had come in at a different year with that one more year of experience we'd be having very different conversations he probably would have just been a rookie that you check in on every couple of races being like yep solid race yep good learning curve cool instead right now he's being constantly beaten down because of all of the negative press he's getting which can't make getting better any easier like Mm -hmm. the mental game for him has got to be so hard right now and as for stroll in my mind it is just Eventually, going to be time for him to think, should I go do something else? He's had a very, he's a midfield driver. Yeah. And he's had a very average midfield driver career, which has lasted longer, I feel like, than most midfielders. Like, you give them five, six ish years, and he's at eight at this point. So, he's not going to accomplish much more. He's had a very respectable career for a midfield driver. I do think at a certain point within the next like year or two, it does have to be a discussion of like, you've gotten everything you're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. It is time for you to go. And like his dad is going to be ha- the one that has to pull the plug on that. Yeah. So, Poor kid. you know, parents yeah. have to have those tough conversations with their kids. Mm-hmm. It's the reality of it. And uh, yeah, that'll be... I, yeah, with Stroll, I do just think it is, it's getting to be time. He's not going to do much else.
2: Yeah. I think with Logan, to go back to Logan, it also doesn't help that the person whose seat he's taking was known for doing a lot of crashing. And mm-hmm. so Williams Williams's reputation and the way their drivers are already seen was already kind of in a tough spot anyway, and then for him to come in a little bit underdeveloped where you're just be- he was being scrutinized so much closer than even Oscar was, or, you know, really anybody else that was coming in for the first time, or Nick DeVries. And like, look how it look look worked out for Nick. But <laughs> I think that he was being watched so closely that that didn't help either. I think that James Vowles, well, here's the thing. I think that if Logan was in a Red Bull system, he would have been gone a long time ago. 100%. But I think James Vowles having been trained in the Mercedes system I think that they should give Logan another year or two. And I think that they will because James has openly said that Logan is learning every day and he's also learning a new car that is in the middle of being developed. Alex has been a part of the development since they really started taking this thing by the reins. Logan's coming in in the middle and is expected to just know everything that they're in the middle of developing. And so I don't think it's fair to compare them. Um, On the surface, it's really easy to be like, Logan, what are you doing here? But I want to see him do better. I have hope for him. For Lance, (laughs) I actually think it's, like Christina said, it's not up to Lance. However, I think that Lawrence Stroll needs to ask himself, does he want to win championships or does he want his son to drive? Because I don't think you're going to get both. He wants both and he's doing everything he can to get both. But once again, scoreboard like, yeah, the massive discrepancy <clears throat> between the two cannot be ignored I think that Lance is gonna be successful in whatever he goes on to do. I think he has the foundation to be successful in a lot of things. But I also think that this is what he wants to do. And as long as the money speaks for him, he'll be in it. And and I think it's also worth saying he's not a disgrace like I don't want to I don't want to be like Lance is the worst on the ready to go like he's not (laughs) causing crashes he's not causing life-threatening situations like Christina said he's he's in the midfield I think that when he podiumed in his rookie season everyone was like oh my gosh so much potential Ian what do you think
1: I think Lance is going to be out unfortunately he just doesn't have it he was he's so good in the wet too like i put him in the top 5 drivers when it's wet out and this downturn oh, yeah. in form is just awful to see and i think it's mentally speaking he's done ever since the injury too from the beginning of the season i don't foresee him i mean i'll be surprised if he's in 2024 with logan I got to root for the American just out of sheer, sheer bliss or ignorance, whatever it is at this point. So I want him to continue on because I think what it still impresses me, though, is just driving one lap in a Formula One car. A normal person can't like if someone put me in a Formula One car, I don't think I could get it out of gear. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with myself. And then even if I got it out of gear, I wouldn't had the brakes hot enough because I wouldn't be going fast enough so the tires would be cold and then I'd go straight off. So the fact mm-hmm. that this, what is he, like Nineteen Isn't he young? Isn't he a young kid? Lance? He's young, North young, Logan. Yeah.
2: Logan. Oh, Logan. Yeah, Logan's really young. He's 22. All right, mm-hmm.
1: so in the States, you get your license of what, 16? So technically, he's only been driving legally for six years, if you want to put it that way. So give the kid another try. I want to... I want to yeah. see him. Keep oh the my American gosh! In this sport.
0: No, he's a December thirty first, two thousand. So he's oh. like the end, end, end of the
2: year. So he'll turn twenty three like on New Year's Eve. Yeah, a cutie. Like, yeah, he's a late, late birthday, just under the wire.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Gravel Trap F1 where we were talking about all things Japanese Grand Prix and we had a wonderful guest, Ian Shea, join us for the checkered flag. If you get some time, go check out his podcast called
1: Around the Outside, the American Formula One podcast.
2: Thanks so much and we'll see you next time. to write our own intro this time buck always writes the intro for us but now we have to write it <laughs> wait did you ian did you write it
1: i didn't write an intro i didn't write
2: <gasps> christina yeah buck was looking out for us look at the intro there's like, one already oh my god he like gosh. pre-wrote Three-fourths of an intro for us with gaps for us to put in whatever actually happened in this episode because he knows that we, like, go off topic all the time. (laughs) What a hero. Oh, my gosh. What a gem of a human.